Matthew chapter 27. I'm going to ask you tonight to remain seated. I really want to try to do everything in a way that will be conducive to our focus being on Jesus Christ. And so if you can just get in your spot and really give your attention to the words that we'll be reading. Matthew chapter 27, we're going to, we're going to pick up in verse number 24, this farce of a trial has gone on and, and Pilate is putting forth some kind of feeble effort to rescue Jesus, but the mob is bent on blood and they are crying out, crucify him. And Pilate asked the question of in verse number 23, what evil hath he done? But their lust for the death of this one who had only done them good would not be quenched with anything less than his crucifixion. And they would not be satisfied, they could not be reasoned with. And so we begin our reading in verse number 24. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person, see ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Then released he Barabbas unto them. And when he had scourged Jesus, he delivered him to be crucified. Then the soldiers of the governor took Jesus into the common hall and gathered unto him the whole band of soldiers. And they stripped him and put on him a scarlet robe. And when they had plaited a crown of thorns, they put it upon his head and a reed in his right hand. And they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit upon him and took the reed and smote him on the head. And after they had mocked him, they took the robe off from him and put his own raiment on him and led him away to crucify him. And as they came out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name. Him they compelled to bear his cross. And when they were come unto a place called Golgotha, that is to say a place of a skull, they gave him vinegar to drink mingled with gall. And when he had tasted thereof, he would not drink. And they crucified him. And parted his garments, casting lots, that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet. They parted my garments among them, and upon my vesture did they cast lots. And sitting down, they watched him there, and set up over his head his accusation, which is accusation written, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Then were there two thieves crucified with him, one on the right hand and another on the left. 
And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself. If thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Likewise also the chief priest, mocking him with the scribes and elders said, He saved others, himself he cannot save. If he be the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross, and we will believe him. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I am the Son of God. The thieves also, which were crucified with him, cast the same in his teeth. Now from the sixth hour... There was darkness over all the land unto the ninth hour. And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, This man calleth for Elias. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave him to drink. The rest said, Let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, Yielded up the ghost. The thought tonight is this. The title of the message is The Great Sufferer. The Great Sufferer. It's not surprising, but it's nonetheless at times disappointing or frustrating that kids don't always appreciate the things that are provided for them by their parents or grandparents or the people that love them as you would want them to. They don't appreciate the house. They don't appreciate the clothes. They don't appreciate the toys. They don't appreciate the vacations. They don't appreciate the food. They don't appreciate the sports. They don't appreciate the glasses, the braces, the dentist, the doctor's appointments. They don't appreciate those things And here's one of the biggest reasons why. It's because they don't understand how hard it is to have those things. They don't understand the labor and the sacrifice that dad and mom make on a weekly basis. The things that they set aside, the things that they do without, the long hours and the stress that they bear up under to provide for those things. In other words, they don't appreciate those gifts Because they don't understand how expensive it is to provide them. We can be guilty of the same thing when it comes to the salvation that's provided through Jesus Christ. When it comes to the victory that we are given through His resurrection. The power that we have unto eternal life. And the power that we have to a victorious life in this current body. We don't appreciate it because we can forget how much it cost God 
to provide it for us. We can forget how expensive it is. We can forget just how much Jesus had to pay and how much he had to go through in order to forgive Jonathan Pyle, in order to forgive Andrea Pyle, in order to forgive the non-mata or Patrick Winchester or any other name that you could call. Now, I'm not saying that we do this on purpose. I'm not saying that we intentionally become callous and careless in our approach to the cross that Jesus Christ bore up under and was eventually nailed to. But it happens. It happens because we get so familiar with it. It happens because you hear your pastor or your teacher talk about it. It happens because you read about it and we sing about it and we see images and symbols of it and we're constantly reminded of it. And while that should serve to help us maintain gratitude, sometimes if we're being honest, we just get used to it. We get used to the fact that he died. We get used to the fact that he suffered in a way that no one else has ever suffered. And so tonight, this will be a simple, some simple thoughts. But I just want us to consider once again together how much Jesus suffered in hopes that come this Sunday, it will help us to have a greater joy for what is accomplished through his resurrection. First of all, please take notice that Jesus suffered and died as a man. Two times in our text, in verse number 46, and then in verse number 50, you read the word cried. These weren't merely just Jesus going through the motion of using a voice, but it was a cry that was born out of great sorrow and great human suffering. Would you please turn with me to Philippians the book of Philippians in chapter 2. Philippians 2 verse number 5. Let this mind be in you which was also in Christ Jesus. Who being in the form of God thought it not robbery to be equal with God. He is all God. But made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Back in Matthew chapter 27, we read an account of how Jesus embraced the pain of human flesh. He was not immune to the desire the human desire that we are created with, he was not immune to the desire to live and to live comfortably. Nor was he immune to the desire to avoid pain. He was not immune to the pain of thorns. He was not immune to the pain that a whip filled with glass and metal and sharp stone or nails being brought across his flesh would incur, and as that whip ripped open his flesh, he was not immune to that pain. He felt the rugged wood of that cross as it splintered into his open wounds. He felt the stones of that dusty, rocky hill 
as he climbed it with his bleeding bare feet, as he struggled to bear up under that cross, he felt the nails piercing his hand as the hammer drove that, that metal, that iron into his flesh and through his bones and ligaments. He felt that. He suffered. He was not immune from the pain of a human, of a human body. He felt every struggle to survive, every searing breath, every piercing pain, every terrible tear that was wrought upon him through these torturous means. He felt it in his body. One author said, what is dying when it comes to consciously to a man in full health? No falling asleep and passing away, but the soul in some awful way dropping down, losing everything, light, breath, God, all, passing under, and in that dread moment seeing to be left in utter desolation. It's not as though they gave Jesus some kind of elixir that would take away the suffering. In fact, he rejected something that would have been considered a bit of a numbing medicine. It's not as though he just peacefully fell asleep in the comfort of his bed surrounded by loved ones. He suffered all the way up to the moment that his life left his body while a mocking and raging crowd looked on, accusing him and scoffing at him and riling at him. He felt all of that pain. Jesus died as a man. Felt that suffering. But Jesus also suffered and died as a sacrifice. What we read here wasn't just a Roman process. It was a process that God ordained would be used to pay for our sin in the body of the eternal Son of God. Please turn with me to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah chapter 53, looking at verse 3, he is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken smitten of God and afflicted. But He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon Him, and with His stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to His own way, and the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shearers is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. Notice the pronouns in that text. He was wounded for our. He was bruised for our. 
the chastisement of our peace. And with His stripes, we, the statement, the Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of us all. It's so easy to read that, but put your name there. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of Jonathan Pyle. The Lord hath laid on Him the iniquity of Andrea Pyle. The Lord hath laid on Him and everything that you have done, everything that you will do, and everything that you're capable of doing, that iniquity was laid upon Him. Around the times, and historians say that around the time that Jesus was crucified, crucifixion was beginning the morning sacrifices in the temple were being offered around the time that Jesus died on the cross it's said that evening sacrifices were beginning to be offered what those carrying out those sacrifices failed to understand is that at that very moment the final sacrifice was being offered. On the cross, the Lamb of God was taking away the sin of the world. So a righteous and a holy God would accept us into fellowship with Him. His sacrifice, which was so terrible and so gruesome, was necessary Our sin is that offensive to God. I want to remind you of some of the imagery of the Old Testament. You can read about this. But a priest would literally take his hands and he would put his hands upon the head of the the animal that was being sacrificed. And through prayer before God, he would symbolically transfer the sin of those that were offering the sacrifice or the sin of the nation, onto that animal. And that animal would die before God bearing the sin of God's people. In a very literal way, that's what Jesus did for us. Now we comfort ourselves that my sins aren't as bad as what others have done. But I don't need to be guilty of something someone else is guilty of. To know that my sins are bad. Because they were bad enough that Jesus had to die a miserable death in order to pay for them. In order for the righteousness of God to be satisfied. And in order for the love of God to be accessible. My sin had to be paid for. Jesus suffered and died as a sacrifice. And then I want you to notice this, the final thing. Jesus suffered and died as a human. He suffered and died as a sacrifice. But Jesus suffered and died alone. Verse 46 says, In about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, My God, why 
myself forsaken me. This is a deep and a mysterious statement. And to be honest with you, it's one that I doubt I'll ever fully comprehend in this lifetime. But it's here, and we are meant to learn from it, though we may not comprehend all of it. One commentator wrote these words, We cannot fathom the depths of the dark and mysterious experience of our Lord's last mortal agony. We must walk reverently, for here we stand on holy ground. It is only just to acknowledge that the great sufferer must have had thoughts and feelings which pass beyond our comprehension and which are too sacred and private for our inspection. See, Christ didn't just pay for our sin. He became sin for us. Look at one more passage with me, if you would, in 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse number 21. It says this of the Father. For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. I'm thankful for this. That I don't just have His righteousness to go along with my guilt. My guilt has been removed and I am made righteous before God through Jesus Christ. I cannot be any more perfect because He has made me His righteousness. But that was only possible because the, the perfect one became sin for us. He took all of my sin's ugliness. He took all of your sin's ugliness on Himself. He felt the guilt and the shame of it. And He bore the severe consequences of it. And as this process was unfolding on the cross before God, and as the wrath of God was being poured out once and for all, for all sin, for all time, something terrible and mysterious happened. In this moment of time, there was some sort of separation between the eternal God and the eternal Son. That Godhead, which had never known division, was divided, not by internal strife or disagreement, but by the sinfulness of mankind being placed upon Jesus Christ. And God in His holiness turning away from that sin and judgment so that He could receive us. In this moment, however brief it was and whatever Mysterious things that involved that I failed to comprehend. My sin separated Jesus from the Father so that I could be accepted. This statement is a simple one. It's this. That Jesus' suffering produces my eternal salvation. The suffering that He 
embraced. And please get that. It was not forced upon him. He was not drugged to the cross screaming and kicking. He was not tied down to the cross as a thief guilty of a crime spewing out venom to those who tortured him. He went to the cross as a sheep is dumb before his shearers. He did not raise his voice in protest. He humbled himself and became obedient to the will of the perfect God and allowed himself to suffer and embraced it so that I could receive eternal salvation. Jesus' suffering produced my eternal salvation. I want to give you a few thoughts of application and then we'll be done. Number one, nothing else will do. It's an insult to God. It's an insult to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ to think that you can do anything to add to His salvation. It's an affront to a holy God to think that your baptism or your church attendance or your good works or your religious heritage are are somehow compatible with His sacrifice. It would be insulting for you to receive an invitation from my wife to come to my house and for her to prepare food and for you to partake of that food freely to no cost of your own. And then after having benefited from that kindness to begin to critique or try to tell her how her cooking could have been better. I don't mean this in a silly way, but her preparations are far below the work that Jesus did for salvation. How much more offensive to a holy God to think that some pitiful human work can add to the salvation that Jesus Christ has provided. There are churches and there are cults and there are false teachers who are offending God every time they declare That there is something that we must do in addition to believing in what Jesus Christ has done. You can't do anything. There's nothing to be added to it. His sacrifice purchased with His own blood is enough. So stop trying to add to it and just accept it. Number two, nothing else is necessary. Like Abel, I don't have to bring the fruit of Cain. I simply accept his gift. I tremble to think how how far I would fall short if I had to satisfy the righteousness of God. I don't have to change to be accepted. Don't misunderstand His salvation should produce change in my life. And and it will. Because that's what He's promised. But I don't have to change in order for Him to accept me. I believe in Him and He'll do the work of changing me. And tonight you can come to Him with your shame of pornography. 
You can come to Him with the shame of your drug and alcohol addiction. You can come to Him with the shame of your thieving and your lying. You can come to Him with the shame of your rebellion and your backbiting. You can come to Him with the shame of your gossip and your foul mouth. You can come to Him with the shame of your fornication and your cheating. You can come to Him with the shame of your bitterness and your pride. You can come to Him with all of it. And He will forgive it and save you. You are not so broken. And you are not so dirty that Jesus cannot and will not save you. Nothing else will do. Nothing else is necessary. And nothing else is more precious. I have many precious things. Andrea. Alexandra. Ashlyn. Jason. Jaden. Addison. Justin. Jackson. Jaron. West Valley Baptist Church friendships and the relationships but of all of that Jesus is the best he is worth the sacrifice of them all and he makes all of them better marriage is good marriage with Jesus is so much better being a dad is good being a dad with Jesus is so much better Having you as my friends is good. Having you with Jesus is so much better. What we get to enjoy, we do not enjoy because of our efforts. We enjoy because of the suffering of our Savior. So as we prepare for a moment of reflection and invitation, I want to ask you two questions before you bow. Question number one is this. Have you accepted Him for your salvation? Has there been a moment when you believed in Jesus, admitting that you were a sinner and you could do nothing, and so you trusted Him to save you? Number two, have you started to take Him for granted? Have you... been distracted from what you have in Him. With all of the chaos going on around us, we're susceptible to forgetting who we are and what we have. We are children of the eternal God. And that's won by His sacrifice. And so nothing that happens in these moments or in this life can take that from us. Because He possesses it and He possesses us. So if you're not saved tonight, can I encourage you, believe in Him. Call upon Him and ask Him to forgive you. And He promised that He would save you. Like Paul and Silas said to the Ethiopian, or the Philippian jailer, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Like the, like the, the, the Phil, preacher Philip said to the Ethiopian eunuch, if thou believest, thou mayest. I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
believe on him and he'll save you. Number two, ask him to help you appreciate what he's done. Would you spend a moment tonight just thanking him again for what he did? Nothing else will do. Nothing else is necessary. And nothing else is more precious. The suffering of our Savior produces our eternal salvation. As the piano begins to play, would you spend a moment in prayer and respond to the Lord?